This is Inside Geneva. I'm your host, Imogen Folks, and this is a Swiss Info production. In today's programme... After almost 20 years, after more than 2,000 US troops died, after more than 20,000 were wounded, after hundreds of thousands of Afghans were maimed or killed, and after spending $2 trillion... President Joe Biden has decided the United States has seen enough of the war in Afghanistan. Hours from now... It's sometimes called the never-ending war. Many of us turn our eyes away from the news from Afghanistan these days. Nothing can be done, we might think. No one can fix it. There's definitely fears that the situation is going to become dramatically worse in the worst-case scenario, going back into um, a civil war. We hope that the international community don't leave us in such a way that we lose everything. If political support, if humanitarian support, if support for institutions fall away, then we're going to go back to a complete failed state and a humanitarian disaster. What happens to Afghanistan now that the US and NATO are pulling out? Today, we're going to move the focus away from the men with guns and uniforms whose actions so often dominate our news about the country and talk to three women, all of them working in Afghanistan, all of them dedicated to the country's future. I'm just astounded every day by the bravery of Afghan women. There's female activists, female journalists, there's female politicians, female policewomen. They have never stopped their struggle. They have never stopped to raise their voices. My first guest is Feruze Mitchell. Currently in Kabul, she works for the Geneva-based organization Geneva Call. So Geneva Call works in situations of armed conflict. Our ultimate goal, our final goal, is to increase the protection of civilians. So I think we're quite a unique organization in this sense of working towards the behavior change of what we term armed non-state actors, groups that are outside of the the control of the state, either they're um, in conflict with the state or in conflict with each other. So in a country like Afghanistan, you see both scenarios Our work is, as I said, it's focused on the behavior change of the armed groups, but primarily in relation to their compliance with international humanitarian norms, international humanitarian law, and also international human rights law that's applicable in armed conflict. We approach them to say that we are not here to name and shame. We're not here to tell you to to stop the conflict, but rather that your primary goal should be to protect the civilian population and that there's certain minimum key standards that we would expect in order to mitigate civilian casualties and civilian losses. That sounds a really complicated, I mean, some might say thankless task in Afghanistan at the moment. Well, I think definitely it's, it's, it's a challenge in Afghanistan because obviously you have many different parties to the conflict. Each side of the conflict has their own interests and what they're trying to achieve, their military objectives. So it's a challenge in Afghanistan, but it's a challenge in, I think, all countries that we work in to make sure that civilian protection stays at the forefront of their minds, to also explain to them the certain advantages for them that, okay, maybe they will not have um, a short-term military gain by not attacking that one particular site or object. But in the long term, if they are trying to achieve 
legitimacy. They're trying to say that they speak for the people. You can't, on the one hand, expect the support of the people. If, on the other hand, you're deliberately targeting them, you're causing them damage, you're causing them harm. So I think it's about persistent dialogue. It's not something that will happen within six months of being in Afghanistan that Geneva Call will will achieve all of this. It's really a long-term perspective that requires work throughout the whole conflict, but then also requires work if you have a peace agreement, after the peace agreement. It's not something that just stops as soon as you would have agreement, for example, right now between the, the government and the Taliban. And that ongoing effort, talking to the fighters, establishing trust in communities, is being done on a daily basis by Afghan women. So I'm Forzan Rasuli. Can you hear me properly? I mean, yes, I can hear you perfectly. Go ahead. Forazan Rasuli is one of them. She joined me after a few internet dropouts from her office in Kabul. So um, I'm Forazan Rasuli the Deputy Director of Equality for Peace and Democracy organization, which is a civil society organization working since 2010 at grassroots level with different groups, including the community leaders, women groups, youth groups, scholars, and the representatives of the government, the peace builders, anyone who is having influence at the grassroots level bring changes. We are focusing on three major areas, uh, including peace and security, human rights, and good governance. Well, what is it like practically day to day when you're meeting people in the community? Is the response good? Or I'm, I'm interested also in the kind of challenges of, of, of doing work like this. We face a lot of challenges. Of course, I would say people are happy with our work. But uh, one of the specialities which the civil society organizations are having that they can access the villages, the districts, even those areas where the security is very bad, and those areas where the government cannot access, they sit with different opposition groups uh, in the villages, in the districts, they talk to them. For example, we have some cases where the girls' school, it was shut down, the girls were not allowed to go to school, especially in the areas which are under the control of Taliban. But through these networks, they, the community elders, the different elder women groups, they sit with the Taliban and they were saying like, this is not something which is against Islam. Islam is supporting the women and the girls' education. So they were then allowing the girls to attend primary school. The imminent withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan has left girls like Zainab anxious about the future of their education. So uh, uh, our job is very much difficult because uh, we are working at a level where the level of threat is very high. If you work in community in a village, there are Taliban who are operating, different other groups who are operating. There are different powerful figures who are working. But we are able to build good connections and we are able to use different networks who are influential and they're sitting and they're talking to those groups and they are able to resolve it. Um, Even in some of the areas, we were able to uh, mobilize women to campaign for bringing back those youths who have joined the different insurgent groups, so home to home, door to door, uh, to the mothers, let's not uh, let our sons to die to fight. 
So this is something we believe that a civil society organization can work. We have done it. Victory, they believe, is theirs. As American troops prepare to leave Afghanistan, the Taliban promise to create what they call an Islamic government. Forazan's determination and optimism, even as Afghanistan's security deteriorates, fills me with admiration. But international aid agencies are worried. Not that Afghanistan is not capable of looking after itself, but that the current conditions are making that increasingly challenging. Vicky Aiken is Afghanistan country director for the International Rescue Committee. Airstrikes that have killed civilians, increased targeted assassinations. And, you know, in the, over in the last few months, the, the Taliban has taken over more than 100 districts out of the 421 districts in Afghanistan. And this has caused all sorts of disruptions because aside from the conflict, we have, we're in the midst of a drought with 12.2 million people in crisis or emergency level food insecurity. And this third wave of COVID is raging worse than the first two waves. So the latest was that there was about a 42% positivity rate of those who are getting tested, and very few people are actually getting tested here. There was hope that the peace talks would advance further, and really any solution to this crisis has to be a solution that is that comes with a, um, a realistic peace agreement, you know, agreed by all parties. How do you see it then going forward? I think it's important to stay, for everyone to stay engaged with Afghanistan. Just because the troops are leaving doesn't mean that we should abandon support for the people of this country, wherever they are. Uh, as a humanitarian organization, we try to work regardless of who has control of the territory, because for us, the important thing is the people in need. It's our mandate to stay neutral and abide by humanitarian principles. And we do work in all areas of the country. But if political support, if humanitarian support, um, if support for institutions fall away, then we're going to go back to a complete failed state, I believe, and a humanitarian disaster. That's quite gloomy. Yeah, it is quite gloomy. It is quite gloomy. I, you know, as humanitarian organizations, we are committed to staying and delivering, but we need things like the airport to be open in order to do that. We need to be able to get supplies in we need the diplomatic community to remain and support us. So without that, it will be difficult. But uh, IRC operated during the Taliban years in the 90s inside of Afghanistan, and we are working on plans to stay no matter what. We are flying over Bagram Airfield, once home to 38,000 U.S. troops, now nearly abandoned. The fighter jet's gone. But not everyone is staying no matter what. The troop pullout is making others, foreign businesses, some diplomats, even Afghans themselves, question their future in Afghanistan. Farazan Rasuli again. Somehow people are disappointed because 
we can see some of the international uh, friends of us, they're closing the embassies, they're leaving the country. I mean, of course, they had to leave one day, but we were expecting that by the time they would leave, the situation won't be as uncertain and as threatful for the Afghan people as it is at the moment. We were expecting that they would leave in a situation when everything would be sorted out to an extent that it won't go back to the dark days that we have already passed through it. People are leaving, youths are leaving the country, uh, they are losing their lives, the economy, everything it looks like in a bad situation. So I'm sensing from what you're saying there that you are concerned about what might happen with this pullout. You're concerned about the future. You're concerned about the lack of stability. Exactly. We are concerned about future. The situation on the ground, the realities on the ground, it's not showing a good signal. The districts are falling to Taliban. People are the overused. They're losing their life in the fight. If, if they are from Taliban side or if they are from the government, from the military forces, but on the both sides. It's the women who are getting affected as a result of losing the breadwinner of their families, as a result of losing their sons. It's the children who, who are in the conflict and they're not able to get education. They cannot focus on their future, on their career, on their life. Now, some of the youth I was in contact with them, they had plans of continuing their studies, of joining colleges, of joining universities. But now they are all waiting what might happen. Maybe we stay in this country. Maybe we leave because of the conflict. So no one knows what should they do. The people who wanted to invest their money in Afghanistan, they don't want to invest it anymore. It's such a situation. We already have lots of target killings, which has been increasing. So lots of uncertainties. And of course, no one would like to live in a, such a situation. Coming up, the Taliban on the march as coalition forces leave an exclusive report with the militants trying to take control. Geneva calls Feruzi Mitchell also has grave misgivings about the timing of the pullout. I, I think it definitely came as quite um, a shock because if you remember the, the past agreements that were in place with the US with their slow withdrawal, there was conditions attached to it. Now, with the complete withdrawal, with no conditions, regardless of, of fighting, it's caused a lot of insecurity. I was just having a, a call yesterday with some human rights defenders. And they, of course, they still want to, to work in this country, but it's becoming increasingly difficult to do so. They are, on the one hand, already target of attacks from many different sides. But they're just fearing that this is going to become exponentially worse as soon as you have U.S. withdrawal, NATO withdrawal, um, and you have this clear security vacuum in place where we're already seeing also changes in territory, increase in fighting. So for the civilian population, I, I think it's, it's come as quite a shock. There's definitely fears that the situation is going to become dramatically worse in the worst case scenario, going back into um, a civil war in, in the country, which of course comes inevitably with the increase in civilian casualties. This is the price girls had to pay just for going to school in Kabul today. The tragedy, Vicky Aiken points out, is not just the escalating conflict, but that Afghanistan, despite the negative headlines we may be used to, 
has made great progress over the last two decades. In the West, we don't see the gains that have been made in the past 20 years. Millions of girls going to school now. You have 27% of the parliament members are women. You have women journalists, you have women leaders in humanitarian organizations, in you know, the arts, things that you, know, you didn't see 20 years ago. There has been tremendous amount of progress. There's still a tremendous amount to go. So only 30% of the women are literate in this country. It takes years to make progress. Unfortunately, it takes months or less to destroy everything that has been built up. And what this country needs is some stability in order to advance further. And I I have, you know, I have seen articles, unfortunately, saying that, you know, it's time for the Afghan women to step up on their own and for the West to stop having to be the advocates for them. And I wonder if these people have ever met any Afghan women and have seen what they're doing on a daily basis. The bravery of the women is incredible. I've had threats against our own female staff in the field. And, you know, I regularly check in with them and ask them if they still feel okay to work. And they're determined. I'm just astounded every day by the bravery of Afghan women. Fruzi Mitchell agrees. Afghan women should not be underestimated. I think also there's this very much negative um, image in the news, especially in the West, that women in Afghanistan, they don't have a voice. They're not actors. They're not present. But that's not the case in Afghanistan at all. There's female activists, female journalists. There's female politicians, female policewomen that are, are in the face of all of the challenges, target attacks still very vocal, still um, open, wanting to work, wanting to be uh, a voice in society. And I think the last thing that I would say to others is the diversity that you have in Afghanistan. You have many different ethnicities, you have many different cultures within the one country. And it's not just a a one viewpoint or a two-sided viewpoint. There's many different opinions from different sides, how they expect their country to come out of conflict. That's something that's really fascinated me, that you have such rich diversity of culture in a country and you have this continued positivity in a country which has gone through so, so much um, in the last few decades. Afghans are running from bullets and bombs. They're caught between government forces and hardline Islamist Taliban insurgents as US and NATO forces leave. But as instability increases, that positivity is, for some Afghans, hard to maintain. Vicky Aiken is watching her staff worry about their future. More and more people that I work with are trying to figure out how to get out, how to keep their families safe. You know, and it's not just about moving with the individual. So my staff, if they only had to worry about themselves, probably could figure out a way to get out. But... You know, Afghans have big families um, and they're not going to leave their wife or their children or their husbands behind and get out by themselves. So, you know, we, we had a staff killed last week. Um, we had two more die of COVID over the weekend. 
people are sad, people are tired, people are scared. Um, and they need support, you know. As I said, we're, we're staying and we're delivering support, but we also need to support those who feel that their lives are at risk to leave. This is taking its toll on you, I think, of, of having responsibility for people, but being somewhat helpless. Yeah, I think it takes a toll on everybody that, that works here and that works with, I mean, we can leave. We could leave if it gets to be too tough, but our staff can't. And um, I mean, now is not the time to abandon them. I think now they need us more than, than ever to stand by their side. Feruze Mitchell agrees. There is a huge resource of determination among Afghans to create a secure future. That resource must be recognised and supported. I think that's one thing that always fascinates me every time I talk to really the grassroots local actors that have been working on the conflict for for decades. So it's not a it's not a new situation that these people have been having to deal with. So I'm always just amazed at their optimism, their positivity, the fact that despite being targets for attack despite um, being at risk for some of them every time they step out their homes, that they are very much here to stay. They want to stay. They want to keep working. They want to have a peaceful solution for their country. And I think we have to keep that optimism. Even with the, the U.S. withdrawal, the fact that you still have these actors on the ground that are doing the work, regardless of international support, regardless of international troops, they remain determined to continue this work. So I think we have to keep optimistic so that they are still recognized. We still stand with them. We still support them. A day after talks between the Taliban and Afghan government representatives in Doha failed to yield any results. Farazan Rasuli is one of those grassroots workers. She won't stop visiting communities, talking to women, scholars, fighters, tribal leaders, urging equality and peace. But she knows her efforts alone can't be enough. Afghanistan's leaders need to get serious about ending the conflict. We all hope that one day our political leaders get together to control the situation. We hope that the international community don't leave us in such a way that we lose everything. We don't say that they should physically be present in the country, but they should continue their diplomatic support, their financial support, pressure on those groups who are trying and going for war and conflict rather than a peaceful settlement. We are expecting them to resume the peace negotiations, which has halted at the moment. The people of Afghanistan, they all know that it's all about power sharing. A lesson learned from our own past. We just look at our, our own history. Whenever we have used violence, conflict, as a mean to reach a power, that government, that settlement, it has not lasted for long. So let's not go again and repeat the history and let's go with the settlement, which is having the agreement of everyone. That's we, what we are, we are hoping. And we are also not only hoping, 
but we are also doing work. The Afghan women especially, we have been raising our voices at different level. We have been lobbying, we have been advocating, we have been sitting with our own political leaders. We have been talking to them. Let's find a middle way. But still, it's, it's, it looks a little difficult for some parties to accept to lose something, especially when it comes to power. And we, we hope that one day they accept that let's lose something to get something. And what they will achieve as a result of losing, it works more and more for everyone, which is peace. If you were talking to somebody who knew nothing about Afghanistan, not even about the negative news headlines, but just nothing, how would you describe your country? Afghanistan is a country which is having multiple tribes with different traditions, with different culture, with different languages, with different religions who have come together. Unfortunately, we are facing a very long war. It is a country which is culturally rich. We have nice places, nice provinces that we haven't been there because of conflict, but we can see it photos and we are wishing to have a future where all of us could travel, where the international community, the tourists and everyone could, could visit our country and see the beauty of Nuristan or Bamiyan and different provinces that we have. So yeah, it's a beautiful country. I personally would explain it as a country where there is conflict for years and years. Women are deprived of their rights, but the women are also very strong enough because they have never stopped their struggle. They have never stopped to raise their voices. When it was the time of Taliban, they were still educating at their home. They were still trying to work. The current situation, they are still raising their voices despite the high number of target killings, the violence that they are facing. But they are standing for their rights and they will continue this fight. And those inspiring words bring us to the end of today's podcast. Here at Inside Geneva, we wish Forozan, Feruze and Vicky strength, peace and continued optimism in their work in Afghanistan. My thanks to these three amazing women for joining me on the programme and to you for listening. reminder you've been listening to Inside Geneva from Swiss Info. You can hear more by going to our website swissinfo.ch including several episodes which have charted our path through the pandemic over the last year. We explore other key humanitarian challenges too from the future of the United Nations to the war in Syria to look at the history behind the Ottawa Convention Against Landmines and of course you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Imogen Folks. Thank you again for listening. Discover science and innovation in Switzerland with the Swiss Connection podcast. In the current series, we visit CERN and explore what they're up to next in their quest to solve the mysteries of the universe. We uncover groundbreaking discoveries in a Roman archaeological site, 
and get the first glimpse of an exciting supersonic plane powered by hydrogen. From the tiniest particles to the vastness of space, satisfy your scientific curiosity by listening to the Swiss Connection podcast for a mind-expanding experience with Swiss Info. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow or subscribe to get your latest episode on time. Thank you.